Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Revelation, that's where we're up to. Fear not tomorrow, for tomorrow has already been one, is the sort of the series topic uh, where we're going through. Uh, today, Revelation 5, I want us to just think about this for a moment. Uh, in times of crisis, uh, leaders emerge who lead through various situations to help us get, help get people to the other side of the challenge that people are in. It's amazing how crisis will bring a leader to the surface. History shows us that Winston Churchill, uh, somewhat of a failure and also forgotten by many leading up to the Second World War, actually rose up during the Second World War in its darkest hours to lead that country. Uh, With impassioned speeches and tenacious convictions, he actually helped guide a country to victory through that war. The people needed a leader that they could look to, one who would give them the confidence and assurance they had to face during the pressures and the rigours of World War II. Uh, Today we're going to see a leader, the ultimate leader in Jesus Christ, as John points us towards him in Revelation chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go there. And we're going to read through Revelation 5. Verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a a voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the four living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Revelation 5. We ask and pray in the Holy Spirit as we come 
and focus our hearts and minds upon this lion and lamb in the person of Jesus Christ. Please let our hearts have a renewed focus, a renewed vigour, a renewed vision of the centrality of Jesus in our lives. Let that set us free from condemnation, from guilt and shame and the brokenness of our lives. And let, it set that, let that set us free to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're reading a book here, which is more than just a book. This book's alive. It's a book of epic pr- proportions. Sometimes we just think it's ink on page. It is way more than that. This is a book that is alive. This Bible is the most glorious revelation of God that we have. It's a living document that breathes with the person of God. In it, what we see is we see human origins, we see human history, we see human brokenness, uh, we see human destiny as well. In it also, we see God as our creator, the one who gives us our life, the one who gives us our breath. God is our saviour, the one who rescues us. We see God as our restorer. We see God as one who is perfectly uniting himself with his people for eternity. We see all that in this glorious written word of God. That's a breathing, a breathing living document that we have. And particularly here in Revelation chapter 4 and in Revelation chapter 5, these two chapters go hand in hand, as it were, as the centerpiece for the book of Revelation. If you want to find the centre of the book of Revelation, it's right here in chapters 4 and chapters 5 as we see them working together and uh, setting us on a great foundation. And that's exactly what chapter 4 and 5 do. This builds a foundation so that we can grasp what the Holy Spirit is telling us through John, through the entire letter of Revelation. As it were, John is building for us right at the start here, high ground. Really, really high ground. Uh, a picture here of... Uh, to persevere and conquer whatever floods of challenge may come on our life, build, uh, John builds us here high ground to stand in so that we can persevere through this life. Chapter 4 last week, we saw a vision there of God's throne in awesome sovereignty, just a powerful vision there of the throne of God uh, in his majesty. The God who rules this universe dwells in this atmosphere of electrifying worship as he rules and reigns from on high. Chapter 5 is really in the same scene and flows on from that. We're still in the throne room of God, but now there's a shift in the centre of activity. It was God the Father, but now that centre of activity shifts, as we'll see uh, working out through this um, chapter. And this shift in the centre of activity is just a continuation of what the Bible is all about. It's a continuation of what the Bible is all about from start to finish, so from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time down the track, uh, the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ as God's appointed Messiah to rescue fallen humanity. It's all about Jesus Christ. You may not see him easily in the Old Testament, but it's all about him there. It's all about him from start to finish. Here's our big idea for today as we think about where we're going, it's this. Uh, the person of Jesus Christ is the centre of humanity and human history. Without him, without him, we are all doomed to eternal judgment. That's where we're going to go. We're going to see Jesus as the very centre of everything. Again, let's, ask, let's remind ourselves where John is, who's written this book under the inspiration of God's Spirit. John is exiled on the island of Patmos for simply following Jesus as Lord. He's been banished to this island. 
Uh, he now writes to the seven churches that he has connections with back in Asia Minor and is to strengthen them to continue in the perseverance of the challenges they're facing here in this persecution from various levels as they go through life following Jesus and to build their faith up to not give up in this tribulation that they find themselves in through various levels. So John's writing to them to encourage them, to actually give them to hope and also place their minds in the right spot so they can actually persevere through. Uh, This scene, as it were, starts or follows on from chapter 4. This scene, as it were, follows on from chapter 4 and we see there John looking upon God, seated on the throne and he's holding a scroll that is uh, sealed with seven seals. Uh, Then in verse 2, an angel with a very large voice, way louder than mine, uh, asks, who is worthy to open the scroll that God holds in his right hand as he sits? On the throne. Have a look here in verse 2 and you'll see that worthy is a very, very key word here in this, uh, this verse. Verse 2, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Verse 3 and 4 follow on very quickly with an initial answer here and it says in verse 3 and 4, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able, to break, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, this is John, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Worthy. Who is worthy to do this? We're going to see this unpacked shortly. But before we get there, what is in that scroll? What is in that scroll that God holds there? And why is no one worthy to open that scroll? Because we see that, no one's able to do that. So from the context of Revelation, we believe the scroll contains salvation or redemptive history. This is the work of what God has done to rescue and to save fallen humans. That's tied up in that scroll. Not only in that scroll is there that, but as we're going to see in the weeks to come, it's future judgment and future glory. All in that scroll ready to be opened up. The scroll is going to reveal again for us the grace of God. God's goodness in rescuing and saving a rebellious and fallen humanity who don't deserve to be rescued, but God does that out of his grace and love and mercy towards us. That is contained in that scroll. Also, there's going to be eternal judgment upon all of humanity who don't accept or believe the gospel. That's going to be in that scroll as well. And eternal glory for all who trust in Jesus and believe his gospel is all tied up in this scroll which we'll see unpacked through uh, these next few weeks so we believe that's what's happening in that scroll there in those with the seven seals tied around that scroll why is no one worthy to open that scroll it's a really important part of the gospel message to actually understand why that is so why is no one worthy to open that scroll Quite simply, all of humanity, without fail, in this room, in this city, in this state, in this country, in the world, all of humanity has fallen short of honouring and loving God first and foremost in their lives, without exception. Not one single person has fully loved God as they should, as a great and glorious God deserves. And in that, we actually see a world today producing the fruits of this rejection, of this lack of putting God first in our lives in all things, 
on big scale, large scale. We've seen it over the last 10 days or so with uh, an, an evil ruler in President Putin acting like a bully, just invading the country next door simply because I want that country. That's the fruits of a rejecting who God is. He just says, for a lust of power, I just want that country. He just sends tanks rolling in there and just kills people without um, fear or favour. That's on large scale. We see that's the fruits of rejecting God. On small scale, we still see those same fruits as we build our lives, somewhat on what Nathan said before, on the idols, as it were, of beauty or the idols of pleasure or wealth or success or self-seeking interest, just trying to get attention for myself. We try and build our lives on these sort of things again and find out that they fail us because they were never built to sustain us purely because we're not trusting God first or loving him as supreme in our life. So it may be large-scale President Putin, but it's also small-scale in every single person's life where they try and build their life and sustain themselves from, not putting God first. No one is worthy to open the scroll because no one has truly loved and honoured God as we should do. What does John do at this point? He says there, he weeps loudly. He doesn't just sort of shed a few quiet tears there. He weeps loudly. He wails, as it were, with emotional pain. He can't believe this. What? Is there no one who can open the scroll? This is what John sees when when he hears this angel call this out. John's weeping, thinking, is this it? Is this as far as it goes? Can we not go any further? Is the scroll going to remain sealed up? Will we not see the completion and the fullness of God's purposes and promises? Will the scroll remain sealed and our hopes are crushed? John feels this vividly at the very outset because he knows what's contained here in the scroll. He weeps. He weeps. Humanity's lost and it's broken. No one. No one is worthy to open this scroll. What's unfolding before us is a glorious and beautiful drama. Not even Hollywood could script something this good. We're sort of left hanging just a fraction here. And the angel called this out sort of loudly, really to set the stage. He called this out, who is worthy? The angel knew what was happening here. He was setting the stage. He was setting the stage for one, for one who is worthy to open the scroll in God's hand. An elder now steps up from in this scene, from around the throne, to console John, to comfort John. And he says this to John in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Weep no more. Tears are over. Hope has come. Why? Behold. Look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The one who is worthy is the one who has conquered. We looked at the seven churches a couple of weeks ago and they were encouraged to conquer. Well, there's one who has conquered. He has conquered the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who's lived a worthy life, perfect in love, perfect in obedience for God the Father. 
It's him. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah, a lion that is powerful and majestic. He has conquered. And then we get to verse 6. Beautifully, the way the Spirit inspires John to roll this out and see this vision. You would think John, John is looking for a lion because he's just heard there's a lion who's conquered, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that's going to come and take the scroll. But John sees something entirely different. Now, if you're thinking about the food chain scenario here from what he saw, the lion's at the top of the food chain and the opposite to the, or the bottom of the food chain walks out. What walks out? A lamb appears. A lamb appears. A lamb that has been slain, standing by the throne. John wasn't expecting to see that. And John doesn't want us to miss the significance here of what this image is actually telling us in this particular uh, situation. He's showing us something here. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the lamb that was slain. Jesus is a lamb-like lion and a lion-like lamb. Jesus is full of power like like a lion. In fact, he has unlimited power. Nothing can stop the hand of the Lord Almighty. He has all power. But that's not how Jesus conquered sin and death for us. That's not how he did that. Jesus didn't go to Satan in the power of a lion and rip him apart limb by limb to sort of conquer him and just pull him apart at that time. No. Jesus conquered Satan and this world by becoming like a lamb and dying in our place, making a sacrifice for us as the payment of our sin at the cross. Not a lion, but like a lamb. If we think about the world we live in, we have lots of so-called lions. President Putin would like to think he's a lion, that he can just go and roar all over Ukraine and crush them in physical sort of power, in military power, which truly is just a reflection of this world. We think we can do this in sort of some sort of physical way. Think about how often we may want to settle scores or disagreements with other people. What do we do? Well, we'll either crush them verbally with our words, we'll overpower them with our words, or we overpower them physically as well. We think that's the way to conquer. That's the way to actually get my way. I'll just actually physically overpower them with words or or, uh, or physically way. But this isn't what John is showing us here as he shows us this image here of a lion and a lamb. Here's what Tom Schreiner says about this scene. He says this, and I'll quote Tom Schreiner. We learn from John's portrait that Jesus conquers not as a lion, but as a lamb. The seven-sealed book is opened not because he mauled his opponents, but because he gave his life for sinners. He triumphs through suffering and death instead of through the destruction of his opponents with overwhelming force. It's a beautiful picture. It's actually the paradox of the gospel. It doesn't make sense in a, in a worldly mind or an earthly mind. We actually don't conquer by force. We conquer by sacrifice. Jesus has conquered for us in our place by becoming a sacrificial lamb, bearing our sin. Brutally sacrificed on a Roman cross, bearing all of our guilt, all of our condemnation, all of our sin. That's how the lamb takes away the sin of the world and conquers in our place. Not as a lion, as a lamb. And that is the essence 
of the message of the gospel. It is the person of Jesus Christ as a slain lamb. But think about the image here that John's giving to us. Yes, the the lamb is slain, but it's standing. He's telling us something here again. In other words, the sacrificed lamb is a resurrected lamb. It's a lamb that lives again. It's a lamb that lives today. This is the gospel that we proclaim. Jesus Christ truly is the centre of human history through the cross of Calvary, through his finished work at the cross. This becomes the centre point and the centrepiece of all human history as we see the actual central aspect here of the gospel message. We call ourselves here at Exchange Church a gospel-centred church. You might hear language like this as we're preaching or sharing stuff from time to time. That's not the gospel. Or we need to be transformed by the gospel. Or the gospel needs to shape the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act. And we need to respond like that. Or you truly need to hear the gospel in this situation on how to actually think about life. We might throw that word gospel around. You might be thinking, okay, what does that mean when we talk about the gospel here? When we just sort of, we're not loosely throwing it around, but you might be saying, what does that mean? What are we saying when we say you need to be transformed by the gospel? Well, with Jesus as the centre of human history and at the centre of the gospel, this is what we are saying when we say that. Firstly, the gospel of Jesus saves us. Sarah read beautifully, uh, not, uh, not Sarah, John 3.16 gives us a nutshell here of the gospel and says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is probably the most succinct version of the gospel right there. Jesus comes and dies so that we don't have to perish and we receive eternal life. That's a salvation perspective. We are saved. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and then gave it up as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. We believe that. Then believing in who Jesus is and what he's done for us secures our salvation as a gift of grace from God. That's an aspect of the gospel, a very real aspect of the gospel. But secondly... The gospel or the teachings of Jesus given to the apostles, which we have in the New Testament, are here to transform our lives from sinful living to God-honouring living. And that's where Sarah did read for us beautifully before. But go back to verses 1 and 2. We'll put them on the screen for you as well. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Stop there. In which you stand. Saved. Rescued. Born again saved verse 2 and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word i preached you unless you believed in vain look at verse 2 there are being saved now does that mean i'm not saved and i'm sort of getting saved what does paul mean by that well in one sense in absolute sense salvation is a one-time event brought about by god through the holy spirit as we are born again and given a new heart and new eyes and new ears but salvation is also an ongoing situation in our lives as well. As the Holy Spirit enables us to keep persevering through this world, overcoming sinful temptations and saving us from making, as it were, broken sinful decisions. As we are renewed in mind, he's saving us from making the same old mistake or the same old temptation, falling for it. There's a sense where we are continually being saved in that way. So the gospel here serves as the good news to set us free from sinful living by being renewed in our minds 
through the transformation of God's truth brought to life by God's Spirit. It's doing this in an ongoing way. It's good news. The truth is the gospel. It is the teachings of the Bible. That's the gospel for us from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. So when we say we need to be transformed by the gospel here, we're saying this. We need the person of Jesus and the truth of God's word to change our thinking, to change our words, to change our actions, to respond in a God-honouring way to the situation. We need the person of Christ to save us and the truth of who Christ is and the power that he gives us to continue in this path of transformational change. And this is what John is doing here right in Revelation 5. He's actually bringing us back to the centre right at the start of this letter. He's bringing a central focus here onto Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain, but also the risen Christ as well. Revelation is no different to any other book in the New Testament. It's all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus. It's also the empowering, transforming truth in Jesus as well. Let's look at how John does this here in verse 7. He says this, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. It's a beautiful picture here of the the Trinity uh, in, in the sense of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God freely hands this scroll over to Jesus Christ to the Lamb, who's the Lord of history, equating him with the Father. He's the only one. He's the only one who can open up God's purposes of salvation history here for humanity. He's the only one who carries out God's future work of judgment and final deliverance for all time for his people. It's only in Jesus Christ. He's bringing a central focus here on that. And you can imagine this scene here as John's got it for us. Where would every eye be fixed at that point? surely on the slain lamb that walks up to that throne and receives that scroll. It's bringing our eyes and our focus back onto Christ, the central element of the gospel. The angels, the creatures and the elders all acknowledge precisely who the lamb is. They burst out into song and the gospel is contained right through this song. There it is, I've just used that word again. Let's let's have a look at it, let's see it here. Verses 9 and 10, And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. What are they saying about this lamb, Jesus? You died on the cross for humanity. The centre of humanity comes and represents us at the cross. You were slain, you died for us. Go on, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. The blood of Jesus has paid the price of our sin. We can never pay the price of our sin. Impossible. Jesus comes and does that. And we are set free from God's condemning justice because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And what's he do? From every tribe and language and people and nation, he is bringing our people together from all over the earth. What a glorious picture that is. What a glorious place heaven will be. We'll be arm and arm with people from all over the globe regardless of their colour of skin or their ethnicity, it's just loving each other and worshipping this glorious great king. And what's he say there in verse 10? And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. When you see that, there can only be one response, can't there, from that glorious unfolding truth as you see what this land that was slain has done for us in bringing a kingdom of priests together. What is it? It's got to be worship. 
It's got to be worship. It's got to be adoration of the one who's rescued and saved us. And that is what verses 11 and 14 is all about. It's this anthem of praise. It's this anthem of praise that cannot be counted from a number of people that cannot be counted. Myriads of myriads, it says there. It's a symphony of praise and worship. And if the MCG had a roof on it, I was sure that would just blow the roof off the MCG, the sort of exuberant praise and worship we have as we look at this lamb who was slain and worship him. And in verse 13, you're in it if you're trusting in Christ. You are part of that throng. You are part of that myriads of myriads. You'll be there to actually witness that and partake in that. That is a glorious hope to think about. That is a glorious future to look forward to. We'll be part of that worship session. I look forward to that day. I think what a picture John is giving us here as we look at Revelation 5. And here's what I found really striking about this passage as I thought about that. John's probably in his 90s here. Probably could even be over 100 by this stage. He's a very old man. He's walked with Jesus all his life. Here's what I find striking. What is the vision that you would think the Spirit would show John at this time? What do you think would be the most important thing that that could be sort of revealed to John right at the outset of Revelation, uh, this letter he's writing? You, You might think, oh, well, it's about God's love or it's about God's grace or it's about... You can think of all these things. But here's what I found striking. Out of all these years of walking with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes back and it distilled the centrality of the person of Jesus Christ in John's life, even when he's 90s or over 100. We just come back to it again and again and again and again. The whole of life, the cross and the resurrection of Christ is foundational in our lives. We never leave the cross and the resurrection of Christ for the duration of here we are on this earth that we are saved by grace through faith, by the finished work of Jesus. We never leave that. It is foundational in our lives. We never leave the cross of Christ through our earthly journey. And with the centrality of Jesus, we keep applying that same truth of who he is and what he's taught to our lives to be redeemed and transformed. And this is precisely what the seven churches need to hear right now in all levels of persecution and even compromise. They need to persevere through this tribulation. They need to hear that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of history. He's the central focus. He saved us through his life, death and resurrection and he will safely bring us to glory, to that eternal hope, no matter what we face. Here's how it works, by keeping Christ central and focused in our lives. Do you have a guilt-ridden life today? Do you feel this guilt sort of bounding up inside of you? When you focus on Christ and the cross, he sets you free from that guilt. When you see what he's done, you see that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan may tempt you with guilt, but when we focus ourselves on Christ, there's no guilt in Christ. He's taken all that for us. Are you anxious and fearful about life? Do you fear the current circumstances we're in today? We come back and we focus on Christ. He sets us free from that fear. We focus on him because he's given us a spirit of power and a sound mind. We know our hope is sure in him and we don't have to fear anything in this world, anything, as we focus back on Christ. Do you feel rejected? Do you feel crushed? Do you feel riddled with insecurities in this world? That I just can't cut up with this world? I can't match up with the person over there? 
Well, the answer is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Why is that? Because we're given a new identity in him. In Christ's sight, I'm precious, I'm chosen. I don't have to match up to this world. I don't have to be what they do what they're doing. In Christ, in the gospel, I'm a new creation. I have a new identity. The gospel saves me from thinking a broken way. Are you proud and cocky about life? Well, Jesus, again, through the gospel, humbles us, shows us a better way to live. That is why the gospel is central. That is why Christ is central in our lives. John is showing the seven churches here and us that Jesus truly is the way, the truth and the life. That it really is all about him and we need to see that first. John's refocusing these guys back on the gospel, getting it first and foremost with them. Why does John do this? Because primarily that is what the world and Satan wants to do in our lives or make us forget first is forget the centrality of who Christ is and forget what the, how the gospel interacts with our lives because as soon as we begin to lose sight of Jesus or begin to have our focus distracted away from him, life begins to unravel. The threads of our life begin to pull apart because we're not keeping a focus on who Christ is and what he's done for us. And if he can distract us, if Satan can distract us away from that, he knows then that we become weak. We become a sitting duck for all of his lies. So John's saying, no, let's get the focus back where it needs to be, where our strength is, where our hope is. For my own self, this week, again, I've been watching the Ukraine crisis quite a bit, and it's amazing. It's just amazing how your mind can get influenced by all that negativity and the hype that surrounds that. You start looking at tanks rolling into towns and explosions going off and injured people and people dying, and the global media reports, is this World War III? what will happen next? Can people act so evil and get away with it? It's amazing how it can begin to unsettle you and and disturb you and think, is this out of control? Well, I I could feel myself just sort of inching my way toward that sort of thinking. So what do I do? Thank the Lord that I turned down the news feed a bit and I just began to focus on Jesus and I began to focus on the gospel And it's just marvellous. Your heart gets flooded with peace. You just rest. It's in the land that was slain who rules the world. It's not out of control. It's not good, but it's not out of control. Jesus loves me more than I could ever imagine, and he's my king. Yeah, Ukraine could be crazy, and and we're praying for them that are all come together, but I can look at the land that was slain. He holds my future. He can be trusted. I just need to keep looking to him and walking in this humble, trusting obedience, keep getting my focus back on him. And that's exactly what John's doing here in this outset. He wants the seven churches and he wants us. Get our focus back here. Get our focus back here and then we are prepared to take anything that comes in our path or way by the strength and hope that he gives us. And we're going to see this unpacked in the next chapters. It's going to get pretty heavy over the next few weeks as God's judgment is poured upon the world for the rejection of who he is. But at this time, we can worship the Lord that he sent the lamb and the lamb has been slain in our place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you today that we can look here at the foundations that you're building through Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. What a glorious picture, Lord. Your sovereign throne that rules and reigns in everything. No one is worthy, Lord, to take that scroll except one. 
your precious dear son that you sent into this world. He came. He took our place upon that cross. He bore our guilt, our condemnation and our sin. He bore our shame. And today, Lord, no matter what we're facing, if we just pull our focus back on you, you give us the strength and the hope to move forward in that. God, we pray today, please let that gospel focus be renewed in our hearts and minds that it truly is all about Jesus. It's not about me. And as I get my focus back on that, Lord, it does bring peace into my heart. It does bring peace into my mind. We know that, Lord, there are many bad things that will happen in this world to come in the days or weeks or months or years or decades. But we know that, Lord, in you we are safe. We are secure. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, please grow that vision deep in our hearts that we truly would be safe and secure in Christ and be able to trust him no matter what's happening. Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.